0: Welcome to the Visegrad Insight podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. 14th of February 2023. I'm Miles Maftian, editorial director here at Visegrad Insight. Today we wanted to focus a bit more on Ukraine, especially today when we see that the EU's Economic and Financial Affairs Council is meeting. And this meeting is essentially targeting the economic impact of Russia's aggression against Ukraine, as well as the recovery and resilience facility. Now this is coming at a time when the European Council has already reaffirmed their support by issuing a resolution for Ukraine in its battle against Russian aggression and urged Russia to get all of its troops out of Ukraine immediately. Now it's one thing to issue resolutions, it's another thing to issue hmm, a new extensive package of sanctions against Russia. The new sanctions package, which will be introduced on the first anniversary of the Russian invasion on the 24th of February, it includes many different aspects. So I think one of the main things when you look at the targeting of many different sectors and individuals, you you look and you see that one of the major players, Alpha Bank, is being targeted. So. Four Russian banks, including Alpha Bank, is being targeted as well as uh, new listings of some 130 entities and people. These individuals were proposed jointly by Poland, by the Baltic countries, by Germany, France, and others. And it's a myriad of different individuals. We have military leaders, we have officials installed by the... Uh, Russians in the occupied territories in Ukraine were thinking that there's also journalists working for Russian state media and propaganda. So those who are in Russia today, as well as companies and individuals in other countries who have links to Russia's war effort from the side of the Wagner mercenary group. And in addition, a ban on Russian nationals serving on boards of critical infrastructure companies in the EU. So think of electricity grids or gas providers. In other news, kind of going a bit into the energy sector, in 2022, wind and solar generated a record fifth of EU electricity, so 22%, for the first time overtaking fossil gas, which was around 20%, and remaining above coal power, 16%. Now, this is all according to the latest Ember report on EU electricity. The report essentially expects Europe to witness a huge fall in the use of fossil fuels this year, specifically for coal and gas power. Looking around the Visigrad region, once again, Hungary is in the news. In Hungary, ministers announced to step down from being board members of the privately managed funds that maintained the 21 universities threatened by suspension from further participation in Erasmus. The faith of other government-affiliated politicians in the foundations is unknown. And finally, Warsaw is once again at the center of gravity in CEE, with President Biden traveling to Poland from the 20th to the 22nd of February to mark the anniversary of Russia's invasion. It of course remains to be seen whether this is simply a temporary boost for Poland as this middle power in CEE, or whether tangible results will follow from any of this newly held self-confidence. But as we know, any sort of newly held self-confidence in Central Eastern Europe with these politicians may spell danger in the long run. For a more in-depth analysis, we now move on to the extended interview. 13th of February. I'm Miles Mafti, and I'm here with Jakub Ebrele and Daniel Citera. Jakub is the research director at the Institute of International Relations in Prague, and Daniel Citera is a researcher and also the head of Center for Global Political Economy. Uh, thank you both so much for actually taking the time in your busy schedules to, to be here. Very much appreciate that.
1: Thanks for having us, Miles.
0: Alrighty, so you both wrote an incredibly interesting piece. It's not yet out. On Vigdís' Insight. and of course, you know the, the the basis of what I want to talk to t- about today is is not just um, not just what you have in the piece itself. Although the piece is really great, it's a good center point for our discussion, but also to kind of bring in some of the recent developments of uh, sort of what you see in line of the piece. So let's think like biden's visit to to poland in february what that sort of means and so forth um but to kind of give a context so what you, what you sort of wrote about is is that we have this russian aggression against ukraine and with this we've sort of seen a a new dynamic in, in central europe and i think with this new dynamic a lot of times there's this sort of shaking foundation of of western europe being at the political center right now so we have poland we have slovakia we have czechia um, they've taken a decisive role. I take Hungary out of that because they've also taken a decisive role, but in a different direction, right? Um, and and you know specifically with Czechia, it's been they've had a really passive sort of approach a lot of times. But this has been a really strengthened position when you think of the end of the EU presidency and now. But um, you 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 both discuss this aspect of there is this new self-confidence, right? So that the new self-confidence of CEE, but for our listeners, I'm kind of, the first question is Is what's the worry that comes with this new self-confidence?
1: Well, first of all, there is absolutely nothing wrong with self-confidence. And I would have actually wished to have more of that in, in, in Czechia's foreign policy over the last, last few years. Right. So self-confidence, uh, By which I guess we basically mean the ability to, you know, to articulate an own, you know, vision and step up for it, right? That should be the basis of foreign policy. So in this sense, you know, I am, I guess we are both very happy that Czechia had a very distinct voice over the last year, be it obviously on Ukraine, but also on other matters, you know, energy security and all of that. And this has been driven by a number of factors, first of all. That actually, you know, we have a government that has a very strong and clear line on, mm-hmm. on Ukraine, but also amplified by, you know, by the EU presidency, which is something that came as a total coincidence, of course. I mean, that wasn't kind of like, you know, a given that this would happen right. at this at this kind of time, right? So there is nothing wrong about that. On the contrary, right? But what we are trying to kind of threat, threat where we kind try to thread a line and kind of make the distinction is right. That one thing is having the self-confidence. This is what we want, right? You know, let's talk about that, trying to sway others towards that and feeling free to disagree with other visions. That's fine. That's fine. And that should be the essence of international and European politics, right? The problem is when this kind of turns into what we call this triumphalism, this kind mm-hmm. of idea, well, that, you know, uh, our vision is not just about bar- one particle way how to see things, right? But we have been right, you know, this is a question about moral, you know, we're defending the good, we're defending the values, and the others perhaps are not, you know, perhaps we are courageous, or more cunning,
0: something like that. Yeah, sort of this moral superiority, almost like a populist rhetoric in some way, right? Exactly. And,
1: you know, so in many ways, we are kind of trying to warn against this, trying mm-hmm. to say, you know, that... You know when this self confidence comes turns into kind of patronizing others. You know then it's uh, actually counterproductive for uh, for a number number of reasons.
0: Okay, so c- kind of following up on this, what you mentioned that there are these complex dilemmas and internal tensions that Czech diplomacy has had to deal with. Um, so so what were they, and how does this? What does this mean exactly for this current triumphalism?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean the dilemmas that are there are that, you know, when it comes to Ukraine, we have very little dilemmas, you know, Uh within, within the current kind of, you know, government, right? Because also, Czechia, and that should be said, being a small state, right, doesn't face the dilemmas that the big states face, you know, like the US above all, but also Germany and France, you know, our deliveries or whatever we do, you know, will not lead to escalation, you know, regardless of whether we think that, you know, Germany's or... U.S. actions will, they may, but Czechia will not, right? So there's not a dilemma in this. But there are dilemmas with respect to how to approach our kind of key partners within the EU. And there are, you know, market distinctions, first, you know, within the relationship to Poland and Hungary, where the sort of more kind of liberal-minded wing, you know, of the government would be kind of very critical, of the law and justice and the and the fides regimes so they would have you know very little patience for them which then gets complicated by law and justice taking you know an exemplary position on ukraine right. so that's the first dilemma the other dilemma would uh, be would be germany right where, where you have the kind of more assertive let's say hawkish kind of line which would you know want to go quite quite uh, rough on germany kind of rough, you know, Polish or Baltic style, whereas then you have the more kind of Europeanist kind of wing, which would say, okay, you know, we may not love, you know, Schultz, what he's doing or the yes. way how he's doing it, but, you know, we should kind of uh, take account of the fact that Germany is perhaps both Czechia's partner in economic and political terms, but also essential for the European support to Ukraine, right? So there's this kind of dilemma. And I think these two tensions have been quite, quite clear over
0: the last, over the last year. Right. So I think there was one. So there's an interesting element of what you said. And it's the sort of political side of it, because now, you know, being based in Poland, coming from Poland, um, with the sort of Crazy polarization between peace, um, left, right divide, wh- whatever the left, right actually is at this point, because you have, um, you know, left wing civil society basically gathering money for uh, for a drone to be sent to Ukraine. So the left wing almost to a certain extent in Poland is no is not even anti-militarist um like their counterparts in the west. But kind of what's what's interesting from my perspective and and seeing that there's going to be a really decisive uh election is kind of the the political basis or or where the political spectrum kind of fits into this, right? Um we have this triumphalism and it was just Incredible to see that uh, what you have written, and sort of the idea that that I've been seeing, and and what others have been saying is is that the national conservative governments. In Central Eastern Europe, almost kind of had a foundation for this, so they were sort of primed and ready to a certain extent. To like I said, it's almost like this sort of populist rhetoric in some way, uh, this moral superiority of um, uh, we've been telling you this, we know what what is the right way. So I really want to. Maybe you can just tell me a little bit more about this in relation to Poland, Czechia, just in general, and then. Where does that kind of leave the center liberal side of things?
2: So I would say that Poland, in a way, looking on it from Prague, is rather specific, right? In Poland, you have generally a national approach to Russia and Ukraine, right? Poland has never been divided or polarized over this question. In Czechia, I would say that's a bit different. And there you can actually understand that the current moment, the, the Russian aggression actually allowed the liberals who are more pro-European and the conservatives who are more Eurosceptic to actually cross that, uh, I would say, cleavage and have some sort of united stance uh, towards this. So in that sense, this triumphalism actually creates bridges also that are politically internal, right? And I would say that opposition in Poland would never sort of dispute the policies of the current conservative government towards, uh, towards Ukraine and Russia, they would probably dispute how that situation is actually used to sort of using this triumphalism to, for example, punish Germany where they differ or punish the Brussels. Brussels is n- not doing that much. And Berlin is actually doing what we were always thinking it will be doing, right? Not really helping us and actually rather by its passivity helping Russia. And hence, in Poland, the government goes and tries to use this rhetoric to also promote, I would say, its longer plans, right? To sort of create a Polish hegemony over Eastern Europe, where, as I understood from some discussions from some, I don't know, uh, intellectuals of, you know, Polish foreign policy, that it actually perceives a competition between Germany and Poland there. Hence, Greece's initiative, hence actually building the military capacities. And now they can say, we were proven right, right? We have the capacities, we have the willingness. Germany doesn't, and maybe it's not about the capacities in Germany. It's also uh, about the goodwill of actually doing something. So in that sense, the Polish approach is similar but different from the Czech one where you don't have these ambitions. So maybe the discourse would be less filled with some sort of like real interest that would be already articulated. I think in Poland they are, and they are really connected to this uh, conservative national policy in Czech Republic. That triumphalism is rather more, I would say, moral. and Maybe it's milder. It's not openly uh, oriented on, on Berlin and, uh, and Brussels. But in general, there are two points where basically these approaches are, have something that is shared. The first is much more like historical, uh, I would say, um, disbelief or distrust towards Western Europe, where Western Europe was not the real West. It was the United States. So there has been this Atlanticist feeling that has both uh, liberal and conservative, I would say branches. And now they, they've been sort of connected. So the point was like, and there has been a shared like feeling that Western Europe is no longer representing the Western values, right? And that actually Central Europe is preserving this Western values, right? Right. That's been already discussion since 1980s. And now they've been basically proven right. That means when the war started, it was the Eastern Europe, the Atlanticists that warned against Russia, and they've been proven right. Therefore, they were also faster in terms of defending these sort of values against Russia, not the Western Europe. And the Western Europe has been proven wrong. And what has been proven right is these transatlantic connections because it's the U.S. and the United Kingdom that actually helped the Easterners. And from that point, I would say, when you look on Poland especially, you have some sort of sense that it could develop further. Hence, you have the whole discussions about that East is the new center of Europe, right? Right. Because the United States could maybe, and I think that's the belief even in Prague, could somehow support this sort of hegemonic uh, attempts to turn this moral triumphalism into something real, into building economic capacities, and into building more and more political power and capital. And I think that that's where you go from this sort of moralist language to actually taking real action. And we mm-hmm. can then further discuss whether this has actually some, I would say, real basis, or it's just the momentary feeling that could actually prove us very, very wrong in a long-term perspective in Central Eastern Europe.
0: Yeah, actually, that's perfect. Uh, there, there's so many interesting things you said. I could have we could go in so many different directions, but one of the things that I was even thinking about bringing up and discussing was sort of the center of gravity uh, being in CEE, and uh, but then you have this question of or like wrinkle in this. Well, is it momentarily right? So we have this planned visit to for, of Biden to Poland, and you always see these massive headlines, right? You always see these huge headlines of this proves that the center of gravity is going to Central Europe or Poland or things like this. And you remember last time that, that Biden was here as well, right? And even in the back, sort of the backroom discussions that were happening, even prior to the, the invasion, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, it's not that Biden was so close with peace. It was the complete opposite, right? Mm -hmm. Um, People were actually, uh, I think it was Duda or or many people within peace that were uh, basically wanting Trump to win, that um, were divided over this and, and so forth. And now it's almost like a lot of these things were sort of either swept under the rug or for the time being. So that's kind of um, that is the question that I have. So will this sort of sustain itself um, and what is needed, I guess, in order for this to sustain itself?
2: It won't work, in my opinion, if we use this momentary, uh, if this moment for Central Eastern Europe, that could sort of, I would say, emancipate and empower the Eastern voices in EU foreign policy making, because the, basically at the core, the triumphalism is right. These right. voices, they have been neglected. They have been sometimes ridiculed, they have been some, uh, or like ignored, right? So the basis for this is actually, for this triumphalism is actually right. I think it would be, however, problematic uh, to use this to sort of repeat the Western uh, mistakes, basically by you know, signaling back that actually you should be ignored, you should be neglected because you're not willing to stand for Western values. Right. That's the that's a sort of revenge diplomacy, I would say. That what you can hear, especially in Poland, I mean this government, not the whole country, towards towards Berlin, right? That's a sort of naming and shaming rather than trying to find some sort of unified European solution for the new Eastern question that would empower uh and Eastern, Eastern Europe and at the same time empower Europe. Because what's now it's happening is that you are sort of wasting that potential of this moment by using this, you know, uh, revenge diplomacy. And at the same time, in a long-term perspective, you make yourself even more dependent on the United States because Mm -hmm. the Europe will somehow uh, remain, I would say um, dependent on the United States. This sort of rhetoric is not really about creating cooperation, but about creating competition. Right, And in the long term, this can discourage the big Western countries that essentially like Eastern and Central Europe needs because it doesn't have the capacities, economic and political, to really fix the East only uh, with its own resources on only with relying on the United States. Because the long-term discussion is the United States wants to focus on Eastern Asia, not right. Eastern Europe. So right. what are we going to do then when actually be it new Trump or new Biden will basically decide that they no longer have these capacities to sort of struggle with Russia and China. And then maybe the feeling will be that we were being sort of uh, abandoned again, also by the United States. I can even imagine in this moralistic, historic, historic basically language that it will be new Yalta in a way. Mm -hmm. So that's the risk, right? That you sort of, Again, we'll have this Eastern European feeling of being abandoned. But then you will sort of ignore that you were also part of this uh, developments.
1: I think part, part of this is really like, you know, and Dan was kind of hinting at that. What do you want this uh, moment to be used for? right? So in many ways, as, at least as I read, you know, some of the more radical voices, for example, you know, the Polish kind of conservative. It's great tactics, isn't it? Like, you know, like, you know, you can really like, you know, have a go at the Germans, you know, and, you know, in many ways, you know, you understand why, you know, because you've been told like so many times, like, you know, you've been patronized really, right? But what do you want to, you know, what do you want after that, you know, after like, you know, you, you have this kind of kind of pleasure of striking back, you know, how do you use that? What do you want to do with the new kind of German massively built up, you know, German military, right, you know? Where do we want to have them? You know, how do we want to plug into them? You know, how do we want to reorient? You know, Europe's Europe's energy security, where again, like you know, Germany is pivotal or the European project at large. So that I think is kind of one of the points when we're kind, of, where we're kind of like hinting at is really like you know, let's use the self confidence for actually being able to articulate our our vision within Europe and be able to kind of like. Use it to integrate different voices rather than have this, you know, short-lived kind of moment of glory, you know, and then again, like switch back into the kind of inferiority complex of, oh, nobody is listening to us.
0: Yeah, because that was kind of, um, that was my worry with all of this is is that uh, not too long ago, I was talking about what happens if the U.S. sort of goes to this isolationist stance when it comes to Central Europe. And I didn't think of the ramifications there of what that means for for Poland. But I guess this is my fault. Once again, we're focusing on Poland. And I apologize for that. I know that it is sort of uh, a big story from this perspective. So I guess because I was going to ask, you know, what should the Czech Republic do with this newly acquired self-confidence? And I think that you're somewhat answering that. But is there... Um, Is there a specific twist on this for for Czech Republic as opposed to Poland?
1: I think, frankly, that Czechia is in an easier position than Poland because Czechia has been, apart from, you know, a few kind of slips, has been quite cautious in in, in the kind of triumphalism. So it's more in the domestic debate, you know, it's more the Twitterati and the commentators doing this than actually the politicians, you know. Uh, We don't go demanding reparations on Germany, doing things like that. So I think there is some space for actually, you know, trying to, for example, shape the future of the EU and enlargement kind of agenda, you know, if you are able to kind of use this momentum and say, hey, you know, actually, you know, we are the Eastern voice, you know, and we are saying things that, you know, resonate among the region more broadly. The polls are on this, but, you know, we also are you know, able to kind of like understand why, you know, Germany or the Netherlands are more skeptical of the enlargement. You know, let's try to find a way out of that. So I think right. there is there is this chance. It's at the same time, obviously, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to find the position. But I think that this kind of situation gives us, you know, a chance that has not been there for for a long time and uh, might not last to actually make... A kind of more kind of constructed and more kind of strategic, so to say, impact.
0: Daniel, Jakub, thank you so much for being here. For our listeners, this article will come out on Friday. Um, It's packed with a lot of great, um, not only takes, but sort of a different analytical perspective than what we generally try to, what we're generally hearing um, in in many different political debates. So Daniel, Jakub, thank you. you
2: Thanks, Miles. Oh, 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 oh,